0: The following resources brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. If you have your Bibles, you can uh, go with me to Luke chapter 14. We're going to begin in the 15th verse in just a moment. We are... Uh, Continuing in our series on prayer and fasting, and though our text today is not directly about this subject, I believe that it does reveal one of the reasons that fasting specifically is very helpful to us in our walk with God. And so again, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 14. And while you're doing that, let me ask you this. Have any of you ever been at a dinner that just turned really awkward? Have you ever been at a meal that's just, I mean, maybe a Thanksgiving dinner, a family meal that just is really awkward and you want to leave? Well, when I was very young, my family and I were at my grandparents' house for a big dinner. And I'm told that in the middle of dinner, I stood up and I pulled down my drawers and I said, Hey, who wants to see my underoos? I was so proud of my Superman underwear. And friends, that is an awkward dinner. Well, our text today it takes place... In the midst of a rather awkward meal And and I want to give you a little bit of background So you'll understand uh, what's happening here in Luke 14 In the first part of this chapter Luke records that a Pharisee invites Jesus To a Sabbath day meal Along with other Pharisees Now, this group of people uh, are very, very legalistic They're a Jewish sect, they're hypocrites They're very judgmental And there is a constant tension Between them and between Jesus Because Jesus knows their hearts And He reveals their hypocrisy So here's what I want you to understand So this group of Pharisees Very religious uh, sect of Jews They're in constant tension with Jesus Because Jesus knows their hearts And so to the world these Jewish uh, people seemed very, very pious, very close to the Lord. But Jesus actually called them out several times on their hypocrisy. And uh, He revealed that actually their hearts, though they looked in on the outside, their hearts are far from the Lord. So frankly, they want Jesus gone. They, they want Him dead. They want Him crucified. They, they want His name tarnished. They don't want anybody listening to Jesus. So this meal... Is not a friendly gesture. It is a setup. Now, how many know you cannot set up the Lord? Amen. So, so here's what happens. This uh, this Pharisee invites over to his house a sick man. Now, the Pharisees are not known particularly to be a compassionate people. They stayed away normally from people like this. So, this was not pure motives. Uh, for inviting this man, but here here 's what their plan was. This man had something called dropsy, which medically now is known as edema it 's a, a swelling that 's caused by retention of the body 's t- tissues of water so it 's a serious medical disease, and here 's what they think. Jesus is known to be this great healer, and if he heals this man on this Sabbath day, he will violate the Sabbath. And the Jews will have no respect for Him. And He'll prove not to be the Son of God. And so they're thinking, in their opinion, this is a violation of the Sabbath. If He doesn't heal the man, what's it going to look like? That Jesus is not compassionate, and that's going to tarnish His name. So they are ready. They have this takedown ready to go. But you can't outsmart Jesus. Amen? So what happens? Jesus decides in the first part there of Luke chapter 14 to heal this man. And he immediately turns the situation around on the Pharisees. He says, if any of you have a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, would you not help them? Would you just leave them there? No. He's revealing their hypocrisy. You want to talk about me healing on the Sabbath, but if it benefited you, you would work on the Sabbath as well. And Jesus is reminding them that that's not a violation of the Sabbath to help someone who is in need. Then Jesus begins to teach them. This is at the Pharisees' house. He begins to kind of rail them and teach them some lessons on humility. And so... The the Pharisees are really left speechless, and you can see how this meal becomes very, very awkward. So, that being said, that's the background. I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 14 and verse 15. The Word of God says that when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I have to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife. I love that excuse. And therefore I cannot come. That's a man of the house right there. Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring him the poor and the crippled and the blind." And the lame. and the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and to the hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord, and I pray that you will receive it as such. You may be seated. So at this point, after Jesus... Rebukes these Pharisees, you could cut the tension in the room with a knife. Have you ever been in that type of a situation? So here's what happens. One of the anonymous men at the dinner table decides to chime in and probably break up some of the awkwardness. And he he just kind of changes the subject. It's kind of like when we say, well, how about them wildcats? When there's a... Uh, When there's an awkward situation going on. So this is what's going on. And here's probably what he had in mind. He says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Well, if you go back to Isaiah 25 and verse 6, it says this, that on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine. Of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. Here's what you need to know. The Jewish people pictured their future kingdom as a feast with the great patriarchs of the faith. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the Old Testament prophets. So this man, in the middle of all this awkwardness, he just kind of says, Hey, so what about that feast coming up? What about that feast? Well, Jesus does not refute... The blessedness of that uh, that feast. This is called an uh, oracle of blessing. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, no, 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 that's wrong. But what he does bring into question is this. The presumption that those around the table, just because they're Jews, would actually be included in that great feast. And so to make this point, Jesus gives this incredible par- parable. Now, if you're new to church, a parable... Is simply a story that goes alongside a particular truth to really uh, illustrate and teach that truth. So let's walk through this. If you go to verse 16, Jesus begins by saying, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Well, the banquet here represents the kingdom of God. And there's probably a second implication here of the marriage supper of the Lamb. But at least we know this is representative of the Kingdom of God. The Messianic Kingdom that has been brought in by Jesus Christ. Now, remember a couple of weeks ago I I talked about the Kingdom of God. And when we think of Kingdom here in the States, we think of like the United Kingdom. We think of a place, a realm. But when the New Testament is talking about the Kingdom of God, it's not so much talking about a place... But it's talking about the reign of God, specifically God's saving reign. So to be part of the kingdom is to be saved. It's to be in Christ. It's to be part of the family of God. So this great banquet is the family of God. It's God's kingdom. It's His saving reign. So that leads us to the question, how then do we become part of the family of God? Well... If you would have asked the Pharisees around that table, they would say something like this. Well, it's by pedigree. You, you've got to be Jewish. Or, you've got to be a Jewish proselyte. You've got to follow our customs to a a T. Or they might say it's by law keeping. But John, in the first chapter of his gospel, blows that notion out of the water. Here's what he says. This is John 1 and verse 9. He says, the true light, talking about Jesus... Which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, talking about the Jews, his own people, but they did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, here's the invitation, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, don't you, how we get into the kingdom of God? It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile, if you grew up religious or not, it doesn't matter. We all get to God the same way only through Jesus Christ. So this banquet represents that belonging to God, the kingdom of God. And then we move to verse 17. It says that at the time for a banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, "Come. For everything is ready There's something you need to know here about an ancient custom This is a little bit different than the way we invite people to celebrations or banquets today In Jewish culture in the first century The invitation process was actually a two-step process The host would send out kind of formal invites well before the banquet And the invitees at that time would RSVP But there's a difference then, between what we do now with our with our invitations, when we send out, send out an invitation, we have a time, a specific time. You know, the dinner starts at 6 o'clock, the place, all of that. Well, there was not a specific time given on that first invitation. And meal preparation was a lot different then than it is now. And so, that first invitation was sent out with a general idea of when the banquet... Banquet would be held. But then there was a a second invitation sent out, a reminder, if you will. And so what would happen is, as the the meal was uh, prepared and ready to be put on the table, the servants of this house would be sent out amongst the community to let people know hey, listen, it's ready. Dinner's been served, it's on the table. Come now. Now, if you accepted that first invitation, you were going to be there. It was unconscionable to accept the first invitation in RSVP and have somebody go to all this work and then say, oh, you know, at the time, oh, it's now, this is not a good time for me. Right? Hey, how many have had that happen before? Frustrating at best, right? And so that's exactly what happens, though, in this story. The first invitation has been accepted. And then what happens? The time of the meal happens. The the dinner bell has been rung, if you will. And all of a sudden, the servants sent out. And every one of the guests say, listen, I've got this and I've got this. And it's just not going to work today. Sorry. Now I think the main thing that we're supposed to see in these parables, the main truth, is that they're all really lame excuses. They're lame excuses. And we still uh, hear these kinds of excuses today from people who say, Well, I'm just not ready to receive the Lord yet. I have this to do and this to do and this to do. There's never a good reason, is there? To to not run to the Lord. So let me break down these excuses, though, because I think these are the same ones we hear today. Number one, we have the excuse of possessions. The man says, I bought a field and I must go see it. You didn't look at it before you bought it or what? This is a great businessman right here, right? What is this? This is possessions. This is a man who loves his stuff more than he loves this banquet. Is there anything wrong with owning land or a house or anything? Absolutely not. Until what? It becomes the priority of your life and it consumes you. And how many people in this world are consumed with material possessions? The second one is this, the excuse of work, our second excuse. A man purchases a team of oxen and he says, "I, I have to go examine them. You can't do that tomorrow? This is, I believe, the love of work. Now we know the Bible teaches that we are to be diligent workers. You don't work, you don't eat. It's a good thing to work. But many people are not married to Christ, they're married to their job. And they let their work dictate their lives. No, the Lord has to be first. And Then you have—I love this—the excuse of relationships. Uh, for the third man—he just says, I, I married a wife." Like it's like he's not even trying, you know, to come up with an excuse. I'm I married a wife. But when you think about it, this is one of the things that—that that one of the excuses that people use all the time. It's the excuse of relationships. If you were to read on and Luke chapter 14, you'll see this is where Jesus goes on to say that if you're not willing to hate your mother, father, brother, sister, son, or daughter, even your own life, you're not worthy to be my disciple. And I've taught on this many times, Jesus does not want you to despise those people. right? So don't go home and just tell your kids you hate them. That's not, the, that's not what we're called to do. Alright? But what he what He's saying is this. You're to love me most. If you're not willing to put me first, you're not willing, or you're not Uh, qualified to be my disciple. You're not worthy to be a real follower of Jesus. Because real Christians put Christ above all things. That's what it is to be Christians. It's not a salvation by works. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. But when we are saved, when we have saving faith, we are saying, Lord, I yield myself to you. So in this parable, the banquet invitation is rejected. Insultingly, by the invited guests because of really lame excuses. Let's look at the master's response. Verse 21. The servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry. And he said to his servant, go quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. And bring in the poor and the blind, the crippled and the blind and the lame. These were very marginalized people of that day. And the servant said, sir, what you command has been done and still there's room the master said to the servant, Go to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. How tragic. See, the master, upon hearing the news of canceled guests, refuses to let all this food go to waste. And so he sends a servant out to call the very marginalized of the city who would gladly come to the banquet. And then when he gets word that that's been done and there's still some room, he said, I want you to go beyond the city to the highways and to the hedges. And I want you to compel people to come that my house may be filled. And then he goes on to say at the end, in a sense, that the door of the house is to be shut after that so that those who refused that original invitation couldn't change their minds. What does this mean? Well, let me give you the original meeting and then give you some application This parable is very intentional for the guests around the table. It was for the proud, Jewish, religious, self-righteous people who had this false confidence about eating bread in the kingdom of God. The Jews and, if you will, the Gentile proselytes, like the original guests in the story, they'd accepted that original invitation in the Old Testament. Oh sure, we want to be the people of God. Yes, we proudly uh, accept what the prophets are saying. We want to be God's people. We want to be part of the kingdom. But, listen to me, don't miss this. When the dinner hour came, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ are sent, proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When that happens, many of these original guests said, Oh yeah, we'll be there. We'll be at that great feast. We want to be part of your kingdom. When push came to shove, They had no interest. They had no interest in Jesus. Especially if He's the way to get into the kingdom of heaven. They missed it. And going back to John chapter 1, verse 11, He came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. How tragic. But to all, here's the good news, to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Of God and the gospel, see, was rejected. We, you read through the rest of the gospels and then through the book of Acts. The, the the gospels rejected by many of the Jews. And The invitation was opened up to the marginalized, ultimately to the Samaritans and even to the Gentiles, who, who the Jews thought there was no hope for, the most wretched people in their opinion. But Jesus said, "All oh, welcome into my kingdom." So all peoples have been invited into enjoy God's great banquet. Let me give you three quick points of application number one I want to speak to Christians assuming that most of you here are Christians you can say amen to that. You're worrying me alright I'm like you're looking at me like this Lucky. Like why does he think that Christians let me talk to you for just a moment Don't stuff yourself with worldly things to the point where you have no longer a hunger for God. Okay? This is just application. It's not the main meaning. That's to the Jews, but this is good application for us. One of the reasons that we are employing this partial fast is to raise our awareness. Raise our awareness of what should be important to us. You know, if you're going without food and you get hungry, the point is is that you would remember, oh, God is supposed to be my food. God's supposed to be my food. If you're fasting, I know some people are fasting social media. When you have that just natural inclination to check for your cell phone or pull it out and get on social media, guess what? You're supposed to think, oh man, maybe I should pray or read the Bible, draw close to the Lord. We're to be about kingdom purposes. And listen, one of the reasons that we're not more focused, I believe, on kingdom things, it's not that it's not that we're not, we don't want to be hungry for God. You know why I think in America the church isn't hungrier? You, you know why I think we're spiritually apathetic? We don't need Him enough. You know why? Because we have feasted so much on worldly things. There is nothing wrong with possessions. There's nothing wrong with relationships. There's nothing wrong with work. But we have eaten until we're stuffed, and we have no more room. We want to be hungry, but our lives are filled to the brim. I I love Mexican food. Anybody love some Mexican food up in here? It's a good thing to talk about when your church is in the midst of a fast. And uh, I I love going to Mexican restaurants, but I'm notorious for doing something that's very, very frustrating. And I feel like there's some people that share this uh, same frustration with me. You know, I I look forward to the main dish, whether it's a chimichanga or fajitas. Some of y'all are like, ah, you know, whatever it might be, that main dish. But when it comes, often I can only take a couple of bites. You know why? Because I have feasted on chips and salsa, basket after basket after basket. I always say I'm going to tell them to stop with one basket, but you know how we are. Just one more, one more, and I look down and the whole basket's gone again. Well, just maybe just one more. And then I can't even enjoy the main meal. Now, there's nothing wrong with chips and salsa. I'd be a little freaked out if I go to a Mexican restaurant and there's no chips and salsa. But I just need to stop with a, maybe a half a basket or something like that. Alright? And it's the same with us. Let me encourage you. Don't, don't fill yourself up. Don't stuff yourself. With worldly things, so that there is no hunger for God. Moderation, really good work. We're not; it's not part really of our vocabulary in America. And we do everything to the extreme, don't we? Listen. Make sure that there's room that you have that focus for God, and that He is a priority in your life. Amen. Secondly, let me talk to religious people, the Pharisees around the table. And I know you're going to, if you're a religious person, it's going to hard, be hard for you to see this as you. You're going to look at the neighbor next to you. And if you do, that's a good indication it might actually be you. Alright? So, let me just encourage you. And I, say, and I say this very seriously. You can go to church every day. You can serve. You can give. You can have a heart that is far from God. You can do all that and have a heart that is far from God. Go to church, read your Bible, pray, do all these Christian things, and yet have a heart that's far from God. The Pharisees did it. They were the most religious of the Jews. They look on the outside. If, if people would have said, hey, if you would have asked somebody, a fellow Jew, like, who's going to heaven? It would have been, man, Pharisees. They're so good at keeping the law. But Jesus revealed they're like whitewashed tombs. Pretty on the outside, but full of dead bones on the inside. And I believe there are a lot of nominal Christians in the church today, name only. That's tragic. Well, Pastor, I've been baptized. Well, if you don't have a heart for God, you've been swimming. Yeah. Amen. It doesn't save you. You only get in through Christ. Yeah. Through faith in Him. And faith in Christ is this. It's believing, it's seeing Him as most valuable. That's, that's what faith looks like. It's it's seeing Christ as most beautiful. Saying, "I don't want my old life anymore. I don't want what the world has to offer. Give me Jesus. That's what saving faith is. It's believing in God, knowing that 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 Jesus is the Christ, that He lived for you, that He died for you, and that He's risen and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And you gladly run to His arms. You repent." You come to Him and you're in this relationship with Him. So if you're if you're one of these religious people who've been in church your whole life, don't assume that there's a place at the table for you just because your granddaddy was a pastor or whatever. doesn't doesn't work. Well, my whole family's Christian. Well, you can't ride into heaven on their coattails. You can't do it. Let me say just one more thing on this. You want to remember this. It's possible to profess faith but not possess faith. It is possible We see it all the time Well pastor I remember the day When I went down to the altar And I you know, cried out to the Lord That's great But did you have a heart change Did you have a heart change Because see it's, it's possible To profess it Pastor I raised my hand one day When you called for salvation We got away from that Because we don't want to give people A false assurance Because the Bible doesn't say Raise your hand for salvation Then you'll be saved I want you to look at your life and say, I maybe one of these religious people. Or do I really know the Lord? And let me just... Hey, it's going to be hard for me not to just shout at this last point. This is the heartbeat of this church. I'm going to speak to some non-Christians, some skeptics that may even be here today, or you may be listening online. And you're not a part of God's kingdom, of His family. I want you to know this invitation is for you. You may feel marginalized like... Some of the people that came to this banquet in the parable, thinking, man, I don't look like these people. I didn't grow up in church. I don't I don't know much about God. Pastor, you don't know my past. You don't know where I've been. I want to say to you gladly, this invitation's for you. Maybe you've tried to satisfy your heart with relationships, with work, with possessions, but on the inside today, you're empty. Oh, come to the great banquet, the kingdom of God. Run to Jesus this morning. This invitation is for you. A woman in Indiana by the name of Sarah Cummins had this ins- extravagant wedding planned. She invested $30,000 between the ceremony and the reception. They'd rented out this great banquet hall for the reception with a full, just very high-class meal for 170 guests, and you can probably what happened, guess what happened the week before the wedding. The husband and the wife are both got cold feet. They decided, for whatever reason, to cancel the wedding. And so the woman calls, and she and her family, they try to get a refund on some of this money that they spent. And they said, "We're sorry." We're sorry, your contract says that you're not going to be able to get a refund for the money you've put down. Well, this lady not wanting the food to go to waste does something profound. There in Indiana, she calls the local homeless shelters all around the city. She said, we've got this great meal planned. And my guests aren't coming. And I want to invite your people come dine with me. Local businesses got word of this. And they donated suits and tuxes and prom dresses, that kind of a style or evening gowns. And so homeless people all around the city were just decked out and were greeted at this green banquet by this family. And they enjoyed the meal of a lifetime. Never in their wildest dreams did they think they'd ever be part of such an event. That wasn't their class of people. They didn't have the money. It it just wasn't going to happen. But it did. And I looked at some pictures online and even a little video clip. And I mean you could just see the joy on their faces as they sat around. Dressed to the max. Enjoying this sumptuous meal. You may feel unworthy today to sit at the table of the Lord because of your sin, because of your shame, because of your past. Here's what I want you to know. I'm closing. But I want you to hear this. Every one of us, this pastor included, is undeserving to sit at the table of the Lord. That's why Jesus came. He came to live and He lived a perfect life and He died for our sins and he's now risen so that we can have a place at the banquet table. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org.